Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Hey, Keely. Hey, Chris. Welcome to Heard It on the Sidelines. Heard It. Heard It on the Sidelines with Shotgun Spratly. Spratly. Welcome to another edition of the Heard It on the Sidelines podcast with Shotgun Spratling, where we discuss what's going on at USC, but also try to pull back the curtain a little bit to give you an insider's perspective from the people around the USC athletic program. The Heard It on the Sidelines podcast is part of the Pear Style podcast family. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about USC basketball and the monumental things that have been taking place in Galen Center this week. USC has become the first school in the modern recruiting era to sign the number one men's and women's basketball players in the same recruiting cycle. Tuesday, six foot two Sierra Canyon point guard Juju Watkins announced there was no place like home before committing and signing with USC and Lindsey Gottlieb. Then Wednesday, it was six foot three, six foot four point guard Isaiah Collier out of Wheeler High School in the Metro Atlanta area, making the pick of the Trojans. We talked to twenty four seven Sports National Recruiting Analyst Brandon Jenkins about what it means for USC to sign Isaiah Collier and what it says about the program. Jenkins also breaks down the rest of the Trojan signing class, and gives his thought on the Trojans going forward. Later, we talk with former USC assistant college basketball analyst Martin Bahar. He discusses the impact of Juju Watkins and Isaiah Collier's commitments and gives his observations on the Trojans so far this season. Without further ado, let's jump right into it. We now welcome in 24-7 sports national recruiting analyst Brandon Jenkins. Brandon, thanks for taking the time to join us. Hey, Shotgun, thank you for having me. Glad to be here to talk Trojans basketball. So so excited to have you on the show. I've been talking to Brandon behind the scenes a little bit when USC's been picking up some recruits, especially because USC's been recruiting on more of a national level the last couple of years. You know, going to Texas to get Vince Uwachukwu, even though he did eventually transfer to uh, Southern California Academy to play there. Uh, but this cycle... USC goes across the country to get all three of the commits that they have signed. You know, looking at the the recruiting uh, class they put together, you got Isaiah Collier. That's the big one. Number one player. That's the big one to end the cycle on Wednesday. Uh, but, you know, just start there. We're going to start with Isaiah Collier, the number one player. You know, what was it about USC that, that led Isaiah Collier to, to find a match across the country? Well, first, I would say that Andy Enfield did his homework early. I remember um, catching up with Isaiah probably in June of 2021 for a Georgia Live period event. He said that USC was very involved in his recruitment, and they just they just kept the ball moving. Um, they they hollered at everybody that was around him that they needed to holler at. Obviously, Isaiah has some family ties dating back um, to Southern California. He has some family that lives over there. So I think, one, it was the comfort level um, just with the program and with the location. And then, two, they showed that they were very invested in him. Um, as a player, um, they never wavered. They always said that he was the top priority and um, they put along this pitch for him to play alongside great players. And he'll have a chance to do that at a fast pace plan for USC and Indian football. Yeah, going across the country is always difficult. Uh, you got to find those connections. And USC was able to find it. That's a lot of times how those cross-country recruitments work is 
someone knows someone or there's some some uh, behind the scenes uh, kind of investment. And obviously the the call your family has some investment to Los Angeles. He said his brother uh, is living out here. His mom is from the area. So, you, you know, same thing with Silas Dimery. His, his he was born in Los Angeles. His dad played for the ex, uh, uh, Arena League football, excuse me. Um, football team out here in LA uh, back in the day, and that's why Silas was born out here. So, you know, talk about just the recruiting aspect of it with with basketball. A little bit different than football. Football is much more, I think, a, a more regionalized, whereas basketball is more of a national recruitment, just in general, um, because of the AAU, the the grassroots basketball stuff, and how how widespread that is with players traveling a lot more during their their rise to becoming prospects. So what goes into that that national aspect of recruiting and how do you kind of, if you're a coach from USC, how do you find players on the East Coast? How do you cherry pick the guys you want to go after, especially because football, you're going after 20, 25 guys in the class. Basketball, you're going after three to five probably at max. Right. And I think uh, I think that just touches on the location. I mean, what you're able to market from your program. I mean, it's Southern California, right? Who wouldn't want to be in Southern California? Um, and then in terms of who they target, I mean, you're looking at fit. I mean, you're looking at strictly fit, who can help your program win. You know, lately we've seen USC um, market bigs, you know, obviously what they had on Yekka Okongwu, um, the Mobley brothers. I mean, they've had bigs. That's what they've been able to market. And so I think we're seeing them trending to more fast-paced direction where they don't want to just be known for their NBA caliber bigs. They want to be known for M- NBA caliber prospects in general and making a move by getting the number one player in the country and a point guard like Isaiah Collier. It's a great step in doing so. I think it's the best step up at this point. I mean, he's the number one player in 2023. Um, so you're looking at fit. And like you mentioned, they're going to all these events na- nationwide. And so they get a chance to see people from the Northeast, Southeast, West Coast, down South. You know, and they're getting a chance to you know market their brand. And they're doing so at a high level. And it speaks volumes when you're able to land the number one player in the country. So... Yeah, obviously they've put out these number of bigs recently. They've also they have some wings that are in the NBA right now with Kevin Porter Jr., uh, DeAnthony uh, Melton, Jordan McLaughlin has been you know steady for the the Timberwolves as well. Um, so they've got pros at different uh, positions. So I'm sure that helps there. But when you make that transition, it's not like Isaiah Collier says, "Okay, the last guy that USC just put in the NBA is a point guard." So I think that makes it that much more difficult to to say, hey, we're going to build this around you. So how do do you sell – how did they sell him on being that guy to make that transition? I know this year is the first year they're kind of going back to their their two-guard system, a two-point guard system, pushing the tempo. So he can see it a little bit in practice and stuff that that when he stopped by campus a couple times. But how do you sell the number one player in the country being – the guy that's going to be the one that helps them kind of transform into more of a guard oriented offense. Well, I see, I think the flex within the pitch is that he's a, he's not only the number one player in the country where he, he needs the ball to be effective in terms of scoring wise. He, his first, his primary goal is to make others better. I mean, we're talking about one of the best passers in high school basketball. Certainly one of the best that I've seen since evaluating in 2017, he, he sees the play before it happens. Um, He's a guy that when he plays off ball screens, he can make NBA level reads in transition, he gets the most out of everybody else. He just, it's like he has eyes on the back of his head. I mean, he makes other people better and he's one who is a gym rat. So I think the the flex within the pitch is that the, like the players that they have around him, that recruiting class that they brought in that you mentioned last year, where you have in those Isaiah Sellers who can shoot it. You have a Trey White who can do multiple things on the perimeter. You have Tajani who wants to rebound every ball and catch every pass in the dunker position. Then you have Vincent 
um, who we pray that gets better, um, obviously, after having his cardiac arrest situation, that he could, you know, play alongside a guy like that and make him better. And then when you look at the rest of the recruiting class, I was Damar, he will take pressure out of him playing in the league guard role, who's just a winner, who does everything with the sole purpose of winning. And then Aronson Page, one of his closest friends and the dude who he trusts um, to finish these passes, uh, finish lob threats. He's a great finisher, a dude who can guard ball screens. I mean, the the trust within the program, I think it was the ultimate flex. And with a point guard like Isaiah, who, who wants to make, who wants to get other people the ball and put them in a position to score, I think what better choice with all those assets that you have around you um, to make you look good within yourself and also help a program win long term. Who's the one player you just mentioned everyone in the last two classes, who's the one player this helps the most uh, for USC going forward with having Isaiah Collier and the fact that he is such a, a unique blend of a guy who sees things early and is willing to get other guys involved instead of just trying to take over games himself. Well, early on, I definitely think it helps Aaron page, um, you know, just because of his comfort level. I mean, Isaiah has been with him for the last three to four years, maybe, um, you know, a guy who who whenever he's feeling down, Isaiah can get the most out of. You know, you never have to worry about him because uh, Isaiah, you know, has his best interest at heart. And Aaron's and Isaiah, it's like vice versa. Um, from a freshman perspective, now on the current roster, I would see a, a guy like Oziah Sellers be able to, you know, step out and hit big shots off of Isaiah's penetration. You know, obviously we look at the bigs because, you know, Isaiah gets downhill and finds big bees. That's what his, his number one um, strength is as a passer. That's why people love to watch him because of his his – how he positions himself as a lob threat. But also when you're hitting the shake man, when you're coming off ball screens, Ozai is going to have to be able to hit those catch and shoot jumpers. Also Reese Dixon waters. I mean, he's getting a lot of minutes right now and showing what he can do. Um, I think he'll be able to benefit off of Isaiah being there. Um, so, I mean, I can't just pinpoint to one person just because that's how, <laughs> that's how much good, that's how much better he makes those around him. I mean, he's really out there. He, he kills you with the pass. He can go out there and have a great impact on a game without even scoring a point. And, uh, that's just you know, who who else better would you want? Everyone wants to play with a great point guard. Hey, give me the ball. And if someone can do that, hey, maybe it makes you look even better. And that's why you see a guy like Arrington Page follow his good friend. And actually not follow, he was the one to to commit first. Uh, right. but you know, he you know, when he's looking at schools, I'm sure he's talking to Isaiah Collier. And even I, I talked to him a little bit, and I was like, Hey, are you trying to influence Isaiah now that he's making his decision? He's like, No, I'm letting him do his own thing, but I know he's probably in his ear like, I know I want that guy feeding me the ball. What is What does Arrington Page bring to USC? Um, and, and is he different or the same as some of the bigs that they've been recruiting recently? I think he's very different. Um, you know, not to, not to knock on Arrington Page, but the bigs that USC have brought in, we've seen them have kind of like an NBA trajectory, like the moment that they step foot on campus. And Arrington Page is not that guy. He's a little bit shorter. He's about like six foot eight, pushing six foot nine. Um, but he can be very effective. Um, number one, he's going to he's a play finisher. So that's the one thing that Isaiah needs once he's coming in. Um, a dude who can finish the lob threats, a dude who can operate in the dunker and know what to do when he receives the ball. Um, two, and I think this is what Andy Enfield loves the most about him, is his defensive versatility. Um, you, he's able to guard one through five. He's physical enough to stick fives. He can move his feet on the perimeter and guard in space. Um, so he's going to be a dude who will be able to check ball screens and be able to you know, hold his own while guarding on the perimeter. Uh, against quicker guards and so he's a dude who picks up concepts very well um he should prove to be coachable um obviously he's going to be a freshman so maturity will be a thing um but he's a dude who can help USC win and especially with Isaiah there I think they can benefit each other 
And USC's got a unique blend of bigs on the roster right now. You got Joshua Morgan, who's you know a guy that just protects the rim so well, and it's, it's, it's elevated his offense game a little bit. Um, and then they went out and picked because of, of Vince's situation this summer. They went out and picked up Irislav Niagu. I don't know if you've seen him play at all uh, during the the event that was in Atlanta um, over the summer, um, or if you've seen him hit any of his highlights. But he's an interesting kind of blend of, of a European style, obviously a, a big seven foot Russian. Uh, he's another guy that has been um, kind of sidelined right now. They're trying to get him back, and they've got a, a little bit of a language barrier there. But you know, you add him to the mix, and he's a guy that can step out as well. And Arrington Page, I think that's something where eventually will develop in his game where he can be a more consistent outside threat. So the bigs are a little bit of a mix and match. And, but the big thing is obviously getting Vince back. I mean, he is a monster. I saw him at practice the other day and he, you know, he's already put on, uh, they told me he's up to, I think two forty eight. We had him listed in our database at two twenty or two twenty five. So he's already put on 20 something pounds at USC. Now a little bit of that is, Hey, you're not running um, up and down the court right now because of, of the issues that he's had. He's, he'll lose a little bit, but it's, it is thick on the lower half, and he just just seeing him mess around with some of the the trainers and just doing some dribbling drills with some student managers. The athleticism already pops, and he's barely moving around. Um, you know what can USC fans look forward to if he can be cleared, uh, especially if he can be cleared this year, and you know get him back on the court and, and try to help out this season's team. The first thing that sticks into my mind is effort. You know he's always been known ever since uh, his days in San Antonio just for you know, his size and being able to affect the game and protecting the rim and whatnot. But he gives he gives tremendous effort and he loves the game. Um, you know, he wants to be more perimeter oriented, but he's going to have to work his way into that. Um, but he's a dude who wants to get better. He's a dude who's going to be in the gym um, and he's a coachable prospect. And I think that's the one thing that Andy Enfield loves in him is his coachability. You know, others love others love being around him. He's a goofy, fun loving type of dude. Um, and so he's a guy whose attitude is going to be infectious once he gets the chance to play. I know it's hard on him right now, but um, he's going to work and provide effort and try to be the best player he can be. And at seven foot, I mean, that's a big asset because college basketball is all about size. And when you have it, it works in your favor. Yeah, he's definitely got that infectious personality. Everyone kind of gravitates towards him. He's always got that big smile on his face. So we're definitely hoping that he is able to get healthy and get cleared by USC to see him back out there. Uh, the one guy we haven't really talked about in this recruiting class so far is Silas. D- is it Dimery or Damari? Because I've, I've heard it both ways, and I know they're very strict on it, and they've, they've put it in their, their Twitter profile. Yeah, I've seen that. you seen that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that means, so that. That means they, they've heard, misheard it enough times, so I want to make sure we're getting it right here. Uh, what, what, how have you heard it pronounced? Uh I heard it as Damari. That's the way I call it. Okay. And if I'm say, if I'm saying it wrong, I'm gonna apologize ahead of time. <laughs> but, uh, like I'll, I'll let his father know that I put respect on his name because this is a dude who just loves to win. Um, you know, as USC makes this transition into the in, into the Big Ten, this is a dude who's tough enough to guard everybody on the floor and will do whatever it takes to win. Um, you can talk to his AAU program director, Sim Frazier, and he raves about him because that's. I mean, he's the sole reason why his teams have been successful on the Under Armour circuit. I mean, yes, he could play some point. He could play some off the ball. But at the end of the day, he's a guard who's going to do all the little things, the little things that nobody else wants to do just to ensure that they're, that USC is in the best position. You know, to walk away with a W, he's very versatile, makes other people better on the floor. If an open shot needs to be made, he'll connect on it. He's very capable from behind the three-point line. And he has a great feel for the game and a great IQ for it. Um, so this is a dude, a multi-year dude, who Andy Enfield will grow to love. And he's probably going to be somebody who will lead their practices um, three years down the road, just because that's the that's the type of mo. That's the mo he has, and that's the 
he has a lot of leadership qualities that uh, you know people around him will vibe with. He definitely has the toughness factor. You can tell that he's the son of a football player uh, with the way he kind of attacks the game on both ends of the court. And I, I think you know, a lot of USC fans seeing his clips and hearing, hey, he's a, a two-way player, they think D'Anthony Melton. And you know right. there are some connections there and some, some similarities where Melton was coming in as a high school player. And the outside shot is probably the big thing that Silas has to continue to work on. Um, and that was the same thing with Melton. Do you see a similar trajectory potentially for those two guys? Uh, where Melton wasn't necessarily a point guard. He was more of a, you know, on the wing. But play defense give you something as a, a freshman, you know, impact the game on both ends. And then as his career progressed, that's when you were going to see him add more to his game and, you know, be in charge of the ball a little bit more. And maybe similar with Silas because obviously you got Isaiah Collier for at least a year at USC. So you expect Silas to play off the ball and then maybe he takes over the on-ball duties, um, you know, the, the primary on-ball duties when uh, Isaiah Collier leaves. Do you see that as kind of the trajectory for him? Absolutely. Um, and it's only because I'm a firm believer that winning takes care of everything. And I'm also a firm believer in player development. And so, um, you know, whatever he gets to experience as a freshman and he can learn from like the hard, the hard times, the great times and whatnot. And he builds upon it, works on his jumper. Obviously, I think he's capable from behind the arc, but like he's not the best shooter. But he's one who will make one at a timely position. Um, but if he works on his jumpers overall offensive game, maybe even transitions to the point guard spot down the road just to give USC some more versatility within their system. Um, I think we can see a dude who will have an NBA chance just because he his first and primary goal is to win games. And, um, you know, winning takes care of everything. That's why you see a lot of four-year players get an NBA love just because in their final year they're already mature within the game and they're helping their programs win. And that's uh, I think that's what, the, what people overlook in the league, and I think that's what the league is all about. So, you know, Trojan fans should be excited about this guy. Looking at just the recruits that USC has brought in the last couple of years and maybe even three or four years now, um, you know, when they had Kevin Porter Jr., he comes in, a lot of hype. He was banged up through, throughout his time. He had some off-court issues. And that season was just a, you know, kind of a disaster season for USC where things just did not go their way. And it seemed like they learned from that, and they have only brought in a certain type of recruit since then of guys that are really invested in winning more than anything else. and. They found guys. They found those high-end guys along the way. What is? What have you kind of seen from the kids that they've gone after? Where you know, now that they've been in the mix more frequently with the five-star type of player, they've been able to pick and choose the personalities a little bit more. It seems like absolutely. And the gym rats. I think they're not social, uh, socially conscious. Um, you know, they're not worried about what's going on on, on social media. Um, look at the last recruiting class. I mean, like we talk about Victor. I mean, Vincent and his personality. Um, Kajani and like the way he approaches the game, he's a no nonsense, all rebound type of guy who I think um, will provide value, you know, long term. Uh, Trey White was a dude who really emerged in his senior year. And he's a gym rat. He loves the game of basketball. And he's proved his game even proves that. And he shows so early. Isaiah Sellers is a sleeper, um, somebody who can really shoot the basketball, brings a lot of intangibles and he'll come along late. Um, and that's just that 2022 recruiting class. And then we're already talking about the strength of 2023. So when you look at, you know, I guess those are seven prospects. My math might be wrong on that, but, um, no, those are dudes who love to be in the gym. Um, and I think that they'll be able to buy into each other with them all being young. And um, I think they'll be able to battle through adversity because at the end of the day, there's one common goal and it's for them to get better, not only individually, but as a team. And I think they'll buy into each other in Andy Enfield. He's done a great job on making sure that he's securing guys that are truly about basketball. So, 
And I've got to mention Ozias Sellers. You're the one that put me on him first and said, you know, I, I can't remember if it was Vince or Kajani we were talking about when they were about to commit. You said, you got to watch out for Ozias Sellers. He could end up being the best player out of this class. What gave you that in- inclination? And you know, we haven't necessarily seen it in game so far this season. He, he struggled a little bit the first couple games of the season, but in the preseason, Everyone was raving about him. Everyone on the coaching staff, hey, we didn't expect this guy to be this good. And just coming in, this is the best shooter Andy Enfield's ever had come in as a freshman. And he showed it in the exhibitions and knocked down, I think, five threes in one of them. Um, a guy that we expect is going to have an impact as the season progresses. Hadn't necessarily shown it the first couple of games. But what gave you the inclination that Isaiah Sellers could be a dude, even though he was a three-star guy. He wasn't the highest-rated recruit in, in this class, and, and yet he's a guy that is already turning some heads in, in the preseason. Yeah, for sure. Well, I have some personal bias with this dude. Actually, uh, I, I love his game. I got a chance to watch him in Dallas um, in the spring when they were playing the Knight Riders team that included Jet Howard, who's doing pretty well right now, and uh, Jay Zion Gordon in the overtime elite. A lot of high-profile dudes. And Ozaya, for the most part, they lost, his team lost the game, but he looked like the best player on the court. Um and it was just his level of aggression combined with his skill set. I mean, he was a guy who was knocking down translatable three-point shots, and you could tell that um, his jumper was his calling card. But he also was affecting the game with his limp. And um, when he did put the ball on the floor, he put it on there with a purpose, and it was no wasted motion. So all those little things translated, and as I continued to watch him play, he was playing with other great players and thriving. Um, and I think that gets overlooked because once you get to the college level, I mean, everybody there is going to be as good as you and stars and rankings don't matter, right? So um, he's a guy – he's a guy who – you know, at six foot five, has ideal position for the two guard spot. Should be able to guard well in the Pac-12 and should be able to make shots. I think the biggest key for him, you know, like you said, he started off to a rough rough start. So his mental toughness will be everything right now. Just making sure that he's buying into what the coaches are telling him, and um, you know, just making sure that he stays there and he knows the reason why he is there. Um, obviously, they're raving about him. I've seen a lot of tweets, Rostein tweets, um, other people who have got a chance to watch him in practice, and it doesn't surprise me. Um, so for him to buy in and just make sure that he knows what the long-term goal is, I think that makes USC better. It makes him better long-term as well. And I want to finish with this question. Just what is kind of the general um, opinion of USC on the national recruiting level? Because I think USC fans get so locked into what they see with their own eyes. They don't necessarily get that national opinion. What, what's, what's kind of the, the national vibe of USC from analysts as well as the recruits themselves, how has USC been able to go out and get all these big-name recruits from across the country? I'll tell you one thing there. They are great at identifying talent. How about that, right? Um, I mean, like, the, they just, they, they're bringing in people that are fitting their program. And so there, there's a level of respect that they have, um, you know, from our staff and from people who follow the game because they're, they're finding people that can help them win and help them make a, another deep run in the tournament. And so um, you have to have a lot of respect for what Andy Enfield is doing. Um, and he, he, he's getting the job done, especially as they're about to make this transition to the Big Ten. They're going to be very competitive. They're coming there to win. Um, and I know the Pac-12 the Pac is looking like a, they, they get this nod for being a very finesse conference with a lot of skill and whatnot. But he's like, recruited some tough dudes. He's some tough. Trey White is a tough dude. Ozai Sellers is a tough dude. Because Johnny Wright, just look at him, right? So, I mean – you know, they got, a, they got a bunch of young talent. Um, their older talent is going to finish it out well during their time in the Pac-12. But, like, as they make this move to the Big Ten, I mean, like, they have a lot of a lot of pieces to be very excited about. If they put it together right, I can see them making a deep run in due time. So, you know, they get a lot of respect from the national guys, especially myself, because I'm vibing with everything that they're doing. 
Well, Brandon, thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate you jumping on and explaining what USC is getting in this recruiting class and where the program continues to head under Andy and Phil. Appreciate the time, my man. I appreciate you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Thanks so much to Brandon Jenkins for joining us to talk about recruiting from the analyst side. But let's move over to the coaching side from an analyst. What does that mean? That means we have former USC assistant, longtime coach Martin Bahar, who is now switched over to the dark side. He's joined the media as a college basketball analyst for ESPN Plus. Marty, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here talking to a longtime friend. <laughs> <laughs> Martin, obviously, being on, on the USC staff, got to know him there. He went to San Diego, was coaching down there before getting this, this current gig that he's got. So he's got a unique perspective, I think, uh, to, to be able to provide to us to give us an idea about what's going on in the USC program, but also what it just in, in general, uh, what, what he's seen from college basketball. And, you know, to, to, you got to start with what we we're just talking about with Brandon Jenkins, USC getting the number one player in the country. You, Andy Enfield's had this reputation. He's been able to recruit. And then everyone says, well, he only got the Mobley brothers because he he hired Eric Mobley. What does this t- tell the rest of the nation about USC's recruiting efforts to be able to go get you know a, a dynamic class all on the East Coast a year after going and getting a five-star in Vince Uwachukwu, who did move to Southern California, but, you know, is based in Texas. So just showing the national prowess to be able to recruit across the country, what do you think this this signature of Isaiah Collier says about the program right now? Well, what it says is that he's got a terrific staff and that USC is a place where kids all over the country want to go. I mean, when you think about it, in the NIL era now than ever, it is harder than ever to recruit. It's very competitive. There's collectives out there that are offering kids a lot of money. And so 
it's a very competitive market. What Andy and his staff have done is phenomenal. Now, obviously, the Mobley brothers, their recruitment speaks for itself in terms of how good they were um, and being in SoCal. But Andy was knocking out of the park early on. Jordan McLaughlin, Chemezi Metu, Benny Boatwright, DeAnthony Melton, Jonah Matthews. You know, that's a handful of, you know, top, what, 40 to 100 recruits that they were crushing it with. When you get somebody like Isaiah Collier, what that says is we can go and get the best of the best as we're currently constructed in college basketball. So phenomenal for the university, phenomenal for their program. And when you see Isaiah Collier play, your jaw drops. He has the wow factor. He has the NBA size at his position, a 6'4 point guard. He's got a great IQ. You know, the thing about Isaiah Collier, which is special, is that he can score, but he is a point guard in the fullest context of a point guard. He can make great decisions. He finds open players. He facilitates and keeps the game simple for his teammates. And that's what every college coach really wants. Yeah, obviously that's something that USC has is, is really lacked, honestly, since Jordan McLaughlin has left. You know, J-Mac was such a consistent figure for USC, and he grew up. You know, he struggled as a freshman um, at times, you know, being at the end of the games and kind of having the ball in his hands and things didn't go USC's way. But you just saw that progression as he got older. Isaiah Collier may not get that time at USC because of how good he is, but he has developed beyond where J-Mac was when he was coming in. But And, you know, what is that dynamic adding a true point guard? Um, how does that change things for USC? They've run a lot of stuff through their, their bigs in the past, but and they haven't had that point guard that can necessarily take over a game. And you saw that, I think, most notably in the NCAA tournament last year when they were going against Miami and going against uh, Charlie Moore. And, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that he was a fifth or sixth-year point guard you could just calm everything down. Hey, USC scored six points in a row or scored, you know, seven, seven, eight points in a row. He's going to take care of the ball. He's going to get you in the right play to get you a really good shot and not let things snowball on you. And that's been something that has happened to USC in the past. What will adding Isaiah Collier change for them um, from the point guard position when that's something that, that they've, they've struggled with a little bit in the past? Well, you know, when you have, and this is in general, this isn't just USC, but when you have someone who's got the ball in their hands, who's generous, intelligent, and efficient with their decision-making, that makes everyone in the locker room happier. And, and so, again, every college team has discontent to some levels, right? Some of it's extreme and dysfunctional, and the other times it's just, you know, guys complaining because they only shot three or four times a night. When you have a point guard who makes great decisions and has a brilliant mind, you know, I used to call J-Mac the beautiful mind, right? Because he let the nation in assist. He was keeping his teammates happy. He was keeping them engaged with his decision-making. Isaiah Collier has that potential. Um, he comes in with a wonderful IQ. He's still going to go through some growing pains like every freshman. But he keeps his teammates happy because the ball moves and he finds guys. And so he has that beautiful mind IQ which will make an impact from day one for sure. And he's a guy that everyone else wants to play with. So, you know, he brings his teammate, Arrington Page, with him. Uh, Silas Demery uh, decides that he wants to come to USC. He's going to play off the ball initially and then probably take over the on-ball duties when Collier leaves. So they get a unique class there. But then you add the potential um, because of the cardiac issue that he had during the summer uh, of Vince Uwechukwu 
if he comes back and maybe he's not ready to go to the NBA just yet because of all the issues he's had this season, he comes back and joins Isaiah Collier next year. Now you feel like you have that dynamic inside-outside presence and two guys that can run the floor, and that just seems like there are highlights to be made coming from those two uh, if they are to play together next season. Yeah, for sure. I mean, anytime you have a great point guard and a lob threat and shooting, it's fun to watch. <laughs> I mean, I think about my first year, I, I felt like the luckiest guy ever. I walked into a team with two really good point guards, Julian Jacobs and Jordan McLaughlin, with rim, prote- with rim protection and athleticism, Jamezi Metu, with shooting as well, Benny Boatwright and Elijah Stewart. And so what USC has put together next year's team, you know, their young guys are going to go through some growing pains this year but they're going to have one more extra year of experience. And then if you have Vince at the rim um, for lobs, for offensive rebounding, and you have this point guard who makes great decisions, um, it's just everyone's going to look that much better. And so they have the tools to be very good next year. Now, in terms of this year, it, their young guys got to develop here soon um, and be more consistent soon. But that's, that's every team that has young players has to go through that. But, yeah, when you're looking ahead with what they have in terms of athleticism, shooting, decision-making, highlight real potential, uh, to quote Terrell Owens, get your popcorn ready. <laughs> I think uh, a lot of fans should be uh, purchasing some popcorn at the Galen Center. Hey, we want to see the place filled up. We want to see the environment that should be there. And I'm not just talking about men's basketball. I'm talking about women's basketball, too. Uh, if you guys don't know, Marty has a background in women's basketball as well. He's been all over the place. You know, he's a, a basketball lifer in that regard. What kind of statement does it say for USC to get the number one women's basketball player in the country to sign on Tuesday and then on Wednesday get the number one men's basketball player to sign Something that, uh, as far as we know, has never happened before, at least in the the, the modern era of recruiting. No, I, I, I quite frankly don't know if that's ever happened. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, and for the women's program, it's huge for a plethora of reasons, right? Obviously, you got the number one player in the country, Juju Watkins. Um, you got a young woman who's in the Los Angeles area, right? So you have something there where you got both teams getting number one talent. Uh, in their class. Um, And it's just great for momentum for the USC women's program to pick up someone like that. I mean, she chose USC over South Carolina and Stanford, two blue bloods in women's basketball, I would argue. So now obviously South Carolina's blue blood nature has emerged in the last five years, right? With Don Staley, but for Lindsay Gottlieb to get her, um, and I believe this is Lindsay's third season, right? Second season. Um, Second season. So, right. So statement, you're, you're telling the world we're here, we're here to stay. And we're putting together something special. So it's it's really unbelievable. And it's great for the women's program because they are doing some great things over there as well. And, you know, she's also a point guard as well. So not just getting the number one player, but two point guards. And people want to play with point guards. You know, the elite players want to play with someone that's going to get them the ball. And whether that's, hey, you can drive and kick and I'm going to be wide open for shots because, hey, I like wide open shots. Or you can drive and lob, and I'm going to be open for wide-open dunks. You know, a guy that's going to find you, a girl that's going to find you uh, with the ball, that's what you're looking to play with. That's what everyone loves. You always want to play with a good point guard. So 
this could be the potential of just seeing the, you know, just seeing people kind of swarm towards USC, other recruits, and especially on the women's side, because you, you don't have players that are leaving after their freshman year. It's not the one and done. Even the, the, the couple of players, the elite talents that go to the WNBA early, it's usually after three years. So a, a chance for the women's program to build around Juju Watkins as well. So it should be really fun to watch. And, you know, like I said, hopefully people will come out to the Galen Center and watch them some great basketball should be being played there in the future but let's talk about this year you know USC has not been great to watch so far in the first three games let's be honest about it you know it has not been a great product but I think that is obviously part of the challenge when you're changing systems in the offseason USC has gone from more of a post-dominated hey we're going to run the ball through the Mobley brothers we're going to run the ball down low get the ball on the on the block to Nyeka and then go from there Versus now they want to be more of an up-tempo, more pace this season, changing their offensive system to be in a four-guard offense. You know, what have you seen so far uh, from USC, and, and why do you think it's been a little bit, you know, just kind of up and down and just not seeing that free flow that maybe we saw in the preseason once the games have actually come come and uh, hit uh, so far? Well, you know, it's like we said earlier, you know, there's a lot of growing pains. They have a lot of new faces, a lot of inexperienced faces on their roster. And when you look back since Andy's third year here, he's had NBA big men in his front court, right, who were either developed over time or ready to go right away. And so you're adjusting to a style of play now where, you know, Josh Morgan has played pretty solid so far at that five spot, but you don't have a traditional power forward. But you do have some athletes and some shooting one through four, albeit slightly undersized at that four spot. So it's just a new new team. <clears throat> you do have two experienced guards with Peterson and Ellis um, who are off to pretty good starts, I would argue. Um, but then everyone else is still trying to find their way, trying to find their way in college basketball, right? Because when you have newcomers, um, they're coming from high school where more than likely they are the best player. The ball touches their hands every possession. Um, they're making the decisions on how that possession goes usually every possession or like 75 to 80% of the time, especially in high school where there's, you know, sometimes these kids don't play with other Division One kids. Mm -hmm. So it is a new style of play. They're going to play a little faster, a little more undersized. But let's be clear, you know, they've, they've played two pretty good teams, I would argue. I think FGCU and Vermont will both win 20 games this year. I see that happening personally. Uh, both won 20 games last year, right? Alabama State was obviously an easy win. Um, so it, it's just growing pains. You know, what will happen, though, is a couple of these young guys will start playing better and better, a little more confident, and they will emerge. And as the season goes on, and like we talked about, the possibility of Vince coming back will also add another dynamic, you know? And so it, there's a lot to be excited about still. Obviously, the FGCU lost was a buzzkill, right? No, I mean, to start the year with that loss uh, is going to bother them. But they've moved on nicely, regardless of how ugly the Vermont win was. This young team grinded out a win against a program that wins 20 to 25 a year and is in the NCAA tournament regularly. So that's a good sign. I think back to my first year at USC, we were having a tough time with that Monmouth team at home. You know, they eventually beat us in Orlando a couple weeks later. But that Monmouth team was the best Monmouth team ever. Um, and they helped our net at the end of the year, which was the RPI at the time. Beating a good Yale team at home, which was a struggle, that helped our net down the road in the season. So Vermont is going to be that type of win for them. 
They've gotten better since FGCU, but they're going to still need some time. They're young. You know, they didn't go to the portal and get three transfers. Okay. And so, um, but with, because Andy trusted the young talent on his team. Now they just have to emerge. And, and speaking of Vermont's net, last year I think they finished at 54, 56, so a lot higher than maybe you would anticipate. They dominated sure. the American East last year, were 17-1, and one, went to the American East tournament, and won the, won the tournament the three games they played by an average of 35 points. So they were dominant in, in that conference. They lost a couple pieces, but they're going to be really good. They, they should win the, the American East again. So that one – you know, may end up being a positive for USC on their resume. But, you know, talking about the challenges of, you know, new guys stepping into different roles. I mean, I think that's one of the big issues right now for USC. You know, Boogie and, and Drew El- and Drew Peterson uh, have similar roles to what they had in the past. Hey, a little bit more, hey, we need you guys to score than, than maybe in the past. Maybe we can do some more things through Isaiah and you guys can be off the ball uh, as the possession progresses. Maybe we need you to be more of an impact guy now. So a little bit different role for them, but they're the two that are in the most similar roles. Everyone else is being asked to do something completely different. You know, Josh Morgan last year was just a guy come off the bench, play 10 to 15 minutes uh, at max and, you know, defend. We're not going to throw the ball to you on the block ever. And now, you know, he's getting, now he's not getting a ton of post touches, but he's getting a a couple of post touches each game. And, you know, you got to be able to make that little baby hook shot. Uh, right. Re-Sticks and Waters, Kobe Johnson, similar thing, where you know, we're going to give you some minutes last year, and you saw what Reese is capable of in the mm-hmm. NCAA tournament and the couple games before that. Um, and we haven't necessarily seen it so far this season. You know, he did not look like anything like we anticipated in that opener. And, you know, just kind of – you got to kind of wipe one of those games away. You're going to have one bad game a year where you just don't look like yourself at all. So how do they bounce back from that? That's going to be important. But those guys are in new roles. How long do – as a coaching staff – do you give guys to you feel like, you know, it's just them finding their way in their new role versus, all right, we got to make some adjustments because this new role is not working. How does that balance uh, from your coaching days? How do you see that kind of play out? Yeah, well, that's the hard part with young talent, right? Everyone progresses at a different rate. It's never exactly how you want it to. So you talked about Reese with a great NCAA term appearance. Well, whether – People realize it or not, Reese missed most of the fall with an injury, period. Mm -hmm. Okay, so – and he's averaging 10 a game, right? So he still has to get in rhythm, and he's a guy who's playing some games, you know? And those are the things – you know, Josh Morgan, you said it. He's playing more of a role this year than he did last year. He's touching the ball more this year. He's got to get adjusted to that. With Josh, what I want to see is I want you to go to the foul line six to eight times every game, though. Cause then that'll just help his numbers. He's averaging eight and five and he's fifth in the country in blocks. Right. So I told you at the beginning of the year, he's averaging eight, five and three and a half. You'd be like, wow, that's great from Josh Morgan. But even he still has another level in terms of his productivity as a big man, you know, get to the foul line, get some easy ones. So, but in terms of the whole team, everyone develops at a different rate. And when you have a majority young team, well, again, you're not going to just kick anyone to the curb after one bad game. Because this, this is growing pains, man. Like this is when you have a ton of transfers, you know what you're getting. And if someone's not acting right, you know you can bring in a young guy and replace that veteran. Right now they got a ton of young guys. So everyone's going to keep getting their chances. And then at the, at the end of the day, in about a couple weeks here, a couple of these guys are going to have stepped up and improved their productivity. Um, and then you just want those other guys who haven't yet just keep building it. Andy's going to give them a chance. He's always been great at that with his young talent. 
And so, um, and again, the hard part is as a coach and as a fan, we know that you just don't know when yet, but Andy likes this team. He likes the talent and he thinks it's his best shooting team. So as they get more and more comfortable, you guys are going to see more threes. They haven't been an extremely high volume of three point field goal makes or attempts yet. That number will rise as the season goes on um, because they do have shot makers getting comfortable to the new environment. Yeah, that's one of the things that's been interesting about this group is a couple of the veterans have passed up open looks. You've seen Drew Peterson, yeah. you've seen Reese Dixon Waters. Uh, what do you attribute something like that to? Is that just hesitancy, uh, you know, not ha- being comfortable in the new system? Or is that ju- is that something when as a coaching staff you're just baffled by and you go to the guy and be like, you're the dude now. You gotta you've got to take that shot. Um, you know, how how do you kind of you know, assess that so far or what we've seen from USC where there have been some open looks that have been turned down from by some some veterans? Yeah, you know, when you're having a new style too, you have to get adjusted to the comfortability of where your shots are coming from, right? So last mm-hmm. year's it's a different team. Great point. You got two big guys. Where am I getting my threes from? Well, I know when Isaiah Mobley does this or Chavez Goodwin does this, this is where my shot's gonna come from. When you have a new system, new team, new talent, everyone's still getting a feel um, for where they can get their shots from. Reese Dixon Waters needs to be a high-volume three-point shooter because he's great at it. Drew's a good shooter. Drew is uh, 12 of 18 from two this year, though. Drew likes dribbling the ball into the mid-range, pivoting, shot-faking, scoring in that area, and that's his strength. But if he's open, he needs to tee it up. But, again, it's one of those things where, as everyone's getting comfortable, you're going to see a higher volume over time. and obviously how they looked versus Alabama State versus how they looked versus Vermont and FGCU, every single game has been different in that sense. Um, and it takes time. And I, and I hate to say that way, but from a coach's perspective, you know, I, I could see Andy putting in a couple new plays and new wrinkles to get some open threes for his guys because having worked for him, he has always been willing to tinker things to make sure he puts his guys in the best situations. And I think, you know, with time you'll see that more and more. And you'll see a trajectory continually increase with this team as the season goes on. Obviously, it's going to be a much different team maybe during conference play. Um, let's not count the conference, the early weird November uh, conference game or December. Last year they played in November. We're supposed to play. So they have the two early, early conference games. But once they get to the new year, um, it, it'll probably be a different team. But when do you think, do we have to wait till then? When do you feel like we will know what this USC team actually is? Uh, and obviously you want to win these games as you're going along. You're going to the Bahamas, a great chance to showcase yourself. But For sure. and, and all those wins, those games really matter when it comes to the end of the season. You're looking at resumes and you're comparing one game versus another game. But when do you feel like you will, as an analyst, uh, you know, covering games, when do you feel like, okay, now we know what this USC team is and what they can do? Is it going to be by the time they go to the Bahamas? Will the Bahamas tell us that? Will it be by the end of the non-conference? How do you assess uh, or how? when do you think that we will know about a team as young as USC with one that's changing systems? I mean, there's a lot of factors that are going into, you know, making it where this team will be progressing as the season goes along. But when do you think we'll know what this USC team is actually capable of? I'm just telling you now, you can win some games in the Bahamas, but you're not going to know who your team is. I mean, that's next week, right? You know, and that's just a fact. Like, go, go to Bahamas and get a win. But you're not going to know who your team is in November, period. That's a fact. You know, what you will know is, okay, how have we learned from our early missteps heading into the Bahamas, that short period of time, right, which is only a couple of weeks total. Um, And so then, okay, when do we know that? 
quite frankly, if, if I knew that I'd still be coaching right now. Right? <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, think about it. You have a trajectory without Vince and you have a trajectory with Vince, with this team. Everyone's getting better every step of the way you hope or a high percentage are. But then what happens if Vince is healthy in December or is it January? You're going to add him to the mix and he's going to put him in there. If he's cleared, the doctor's all on board. Let's get this kid out there. He's doing everything he needs to do. His body checks out. Vincent's on the court. Whoa, hold on a second now. You have offensive rebounding. You have more dunks. You have rim protection. That changes the dynamic. That changes the upside. You know, you're missing threes, but you're getting offensive rebounds. That changes things, especially in close games. So, you know, there's two trajectories with this team. One is with him and one's without him. Um, but the, the encouraging thing, in my opinion, is everyone is going to keep making growth and steps. I mean, their staff works with these kids all the time in player development. Um, but there's going to be one step forward, two steps back, which you hope is like it becomes two steps forward, three steps forward, one step back with the young team, you know, where you're making progress. And then if there's a mishap, well, someone else is ready to step up and do something that game, which, as you know, like against FGCU, they just weren't at that point yet, period. That's what it is. They're a young team. Um, so, again, that's the exciting thing. You add Vince to this group, wow. Well, if, if Vince isn't cleared for a significant period of time, well, people are going through growing pains. Reese is getting more comfortable. Josh is getting more comfortable as more experienced guys. And, you know, like there's been there's been some great bright spots so far. I mean, you've got a freshman, Trey White, who's leading you in rebounding. And one thing with young players is if you can contribute to winning without – scoring as a freshman that's a great sign for your future as a player i mean that like everyone wants the ball in their hands and score but the way trey's rebounded at an elite level for a freshman and albeit you know playing the position up which is you know what honestly i think in college basketball if i'm naturally a wing i actually want to play the four because that means someone slower and bigger is guarding me right and and maybe more athletic but you have that undersized advantage which is good and so Trey's done a good job so far just rebounding, impacting, winning in that sense, doing the little things. Because without a true power forward, guys who are at that three position, that two position, you got to position up, especially defensively and with your rebounding. So that's been very encouraging. Yeah, and you're seeing a little bit of DeAnthony Melton there of, hey, can you impact the game without your shots, without getting shots up? Mr. Do right. Something. And that, and that uh, mm-hmm. DeAnthony's nickname now with the Sixers, uh, Mr. Do Something. Yeah. He's always going to be doing something. And that's what you like to see from a guy like Trey White. Haven't seen Oziah Sellers really get going yet. Um, he's a guy that everyone raved about in the preseason. So I think that's going to come. I think he's still just finding his, you know, getting his feet wet and finding himself. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the freshmen so far – haven't really wowed necessarily, but you see the, the the pieces, whether it be from what we've heard in the preseason or from you know some of the small things that we've seen in the first three games. So I think there's definitely encouraging signs there from them. And they're going to have to play a big part just because of, you know, with Vince being down right now and that being an impact player potentially in the middle, uh, you know, everyone else has to step up just a little bit. And right now, haven't necessarily had that. I think that maybe ha- has been the issue a little bit for USC is that they haven't had enough guys stepping up that little, that extra 2%, that extra 5%, 10% when you do have a star down because, you know, you know and, and may, you want to just be able to hold your head above water w- without Vince. And if you do, if you do get him back in that scenario, then the NCA will look at it. The selection committee will look at it and say, 
okay, this is what they are with him. This is what they were are without him. Okay, we're going to assess them more so what they are with him because he's playing as the season progresses. So if you hold your head above water, then you can do that. So that'll be a big thing. But it's a it's a lot different when you lose one player in basketball versus you lose a player. You know, the football team loses Jordan Addison. That's unfortunate. But they had three other guys, three other wide receivers step up and get 100-yard games because you have yeah. 85, uh, you know, so you can have another player step up when a star goes down. Basketball, when a star goes down, it's a much different uh, impact on, on the on the uh, whole trajectory of a season and uh, of, of how you're kind of going about each game as well. Yeah, and, I, you know, I know firsthand my last coaching stint, you know, we were one game below 500. We had the best win improvement in school history. Um but we were two and four without our big man who's playing in the G league now. Right. So you missed an important cog for six games in a season where you were one game below 500. So you're totally right with that. And, uh, but there's been so many encouraging signs since that FGCU game. And what, what I would tell to the young talent is, Hey, listen, just go out there, compete, Focus on all the little details. Don't worry about scoring. Now, everyone wants, you know, Andy, they definitely want to score more and make more shots. But you can impact winning in different ways. And like you said, the D'Anthony Meltons, Nick Rakosevich's, those guys impacted winning as freshmen without really leading us in scoring at all at any point in time. But they rebounded. They defended. D'Anthony with the steals. You know, Kobe Johnson has great steal potential. He should lead them in steals this year. He's averaging two a game right now, right? And he's a young player who played some last year, but not that much, you know, so he's still getting adjusted. So, yeah, the intangibles, the little things, that's how you ease into college basketball as a young player, and that's how you um, endear yourself to your head coach. So any other encouraging signs you've seen so far about the potential of this group going forward through the first three games, starting two and one, have a game against Mount St. Mary's on Friday, should be able to win that one and be three and one going to the Bahamas where they will face some, some really difficult competition potentially. No. Yeah. We we talked about Trey and Kobe. I mean, they've done a good job so far. I've been impressed with Lake Thomas. I mean, the, the way he scored the ball in limited minutes, that's a good sign because this team is going to have times where they struggle to score. And if you can sub in a Malik Thomas, who was an electric scorer in high school, who's got a year under his belt, didn't play last year much, um, but he's been in the system. That's something that's that's impressed me so far. Now, listen, he's averaging six points per game, right, so far, five points per game, um, which to the common person, oh, it's not that much. Well, it's in 10 minutes a game, right? So you know you've got some microwave scoring capabilities from Malik Thomas that can continue to develop too, and he's been pretty efficient from two and getting the free throw line in those minutes. So um, that's just another kid who I've been impressed with so far. Well, Marty, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it. We're going to hope to get Martin back on the show as the season progresses and kind of as a regular guest and give his uh, analysis when he has a chance. You know, obviously this is a a working man. He's he's going around calling women's games, calling men's games, you know, just, uh, just putting it on the grind as always. You know, this man was on the grind all the time at USC. He was out on the recruiting trail all the time. Uh, You know, always see him, and everyone knows him around the program. So uh, great to have him on as a guest. We really appreciate you taking the time, Marty. Hey, Shotgun, just so we're clear, I'm on ESPN Plus now, so if you want to get me again, you got to go through my agent. (laughs) <laughs> big timer over here big timer already look he is oh he is God. ready for the media world he's already got oh he got an ego God. going as well <laughs> just kidding you've been great listen i can say it 
you're great for the university. You've done tremendous work for the school, even as an independent journalist of sorts, right? But, you know, the school's lucky to have you covering them. And I appreciate our relationship from all these years. Lots of lies and slander there from, from Martin Bahar. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we appreciate him coming on. Marty, thanks so much. And uh, look forward to having you on again in the future. Thanks, brother. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Heard It on the Sidelines podcast, part of the Peristyle podcast family. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, saying thanks again to our guest, 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Analyst Brandon Jenkins, as well as former USC assistant churn college basketball analyst Martin Bahar. And thank you guys for listening. Please make sure you like, share, subscribe, and leave us a review on your podcast listening platform. And I hope you can join us for the next episode of the Heard It on the Sidelines podcast. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.